Today we conclude our series called The Gospel to the Nobodies, and we've been studying Luke this entire Lenten season. And um, as we come to a close of this series, I just want to remind you of what we've been talking about every week. Luke never met Jesus. Luke was a physician who was interviewing people and learning about the Jesus story so that he could make his own account of the life of Jesus. And it so happens that when he tells his gospel, it's very clear, page after page after page, that he is communicating to a somebody who he names Theophilus in the very opening verses who he's writing to, that this Jesus, this rabbi, this radical teacher, when he came, he came reaching out to people that nobody else was reaching out to, especially the religious leaders. They wouldn't have been caught dead reaching out to these folks. They were nobodies. They were invisible. They were, they were the margins of society. They were the people that nobody paid attention to, and Jesus made them feel special. Jesus said they were somebody. And over and over again, Jesus encountered people declaring, I know you. I came for you, I love you, and you are a somebody to me. And throughout this Lenten season, we've been reading the Gospel of Luke, and so we've, we're concluding last week and this week in Luke chapter 24, which is the very end of the Gospel account. Now, what I wanted to focus in on today as we talk about the nobodies that, that uh, Luke was showing, Jesus was reaching out to, I wanted to remind you that that first Easter celebration was not glorious. That first Easter celebration was not a happy moment. That first Easter celebration was not, there, were, there was not celebration going on like when we wake up on Easter and we celebrate that Jesus is alive. As a matter of fact, on that very first Easter, it was exactly the opposite. The disciples were discouraged. They were confused. They did not believe that he had come back to life. There was a loss of hope that was just not at a, at a peripheral level or an upper level. It was in their soul. It was in their bones. The one that they loved, they had seen him die, and they had a hard time believing that he'd come back to life. As a matter of fact, read the gospel account with me. It says in Luke chapter 24, verses 11 and 12, this is the, the disciples when the women came to them. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away. You might want to underline those next few words. Wondering to himself. Wondering to himself what had happened. You know, um, today I'm going to talk about discouragement and what it's like when you are discouraged. And by the way, everybody in this room and beyond this room, those who are listening via iTunes and on our broadcast. Everybody that ever journeys through this life, everybody that will ever breathe is going to face discouragement. And this is one of Peter's moments. Now, I want you to live in this moment with Peter for a minute. He gets the news from these ladies that Jesus is alive. He runs to the tomb. He's not there. His body's gone. There are strips of linen there. And it says very clearly two things. He did not believe. They did not believe. He was one of them. And then secondly, on the walk home, he wondered to himself, what in the world has happened? You know, this past week I was thinking about what that long walk back to the house would have been like. I mean, one more time, guys. We, we run towards Easter like, hallelujah, he's alive. That's not where Peter was. Peter was like, I wonder, I mean, can you imagine in your imagination, why don't you think, what was he thinking? What would you be thinking? I mean, as he walked along the road, was he thinking, what'd they do with Jesus? 
who stole his body? Or was he thinking about something totally different? I mean, is anybody going to believe, even follow me anymore? I mean, I followed this Jesus guy, and I said he was the Messiah, and now he's been killed, and it's, the, the dream is dead. Can I even go back to Galilee? Am I even going to have my friends anymore? I mean, this vision for who Jesus was, it's, it's blown up in my face. And by the way, I wonder if I can resurrect my business, my fishing business. Have you ever, you ever think about what he thought on that way back home? Guys, Peter and the other disciples were incredibly discouraged. Their heart was broken. Now, follow me here, okay? Sometimes I think we forget what was going on when Jesus was crucified and he came back to life. What was happening in Israel? What was actually happening in Jerusalem was what we call the Passover. You've heard of that before, right? Do you remember the story about how the Israelites, we had the ten plagues, and then right at the very end, the angel of death passed over. Remember that? They put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, and, and the, the death angel came, and all the firstborn were killed except for those who had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. Therefore, the angel passed over. Every year after the, 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 the rescue out of Egypt, the Israelites celebrated something called Passover. They celebrated their rescue from Egypt and how God led them into the promised land. And, and millions of people would crowd in this little small town, this small geographic area called Jerusalem. Millions of people would gather in there and together they would celebrate Passover. So when Jesus dies, follow me here. When Jesus dies, there's not a few people in town. The town is packed. Everybody saw him die. Everybody saw him crucified. And what's interesting about this is there were the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, would have come into town the Passover with all the greatest of hopes. Jesus is going to be teaching. Jesus is going to be doing the same miracles we've seen him do all over Israel. But now it's going to happen during Passover week. They probably had their hearts surging. They probably were expecting about all the great ministry that would happen that week. They probably were thinking Jesus is going to bring more and more kingdom this week. By the end of the week, he's dead. He's on a cross. And it's not just them that see it. Everybody sees it. So let me just remind you, think with me, especially if you've been with us this entire series. Think with me about how much hopelessness would have been there for the people we've been studying for the last few weeks, the nobodies who Jesus called somebody. So a couple of them, let's talk about them. The very, remember that first week we started, we talked about a couple of nobodies that God picked? One was named Joseph, little dirt poor guy, and another one was named Mary, a little teenage girl. Do you remember those nobodies? Can you imagine seeing your son die? How about those, you remember those night shift shepherds? That was the, we talked about them week number two. Remember we were reading out of Luke chapter two? We talked about the shepherds, who by the way were at the bottom of the totem pole and God invites them with an angelic host to come and be there at the first birthday party, right? To see the brand new baby. I mean, they, has it ever dawned on you that if you had seen angels out in a field and then followed a star to a manger and you had been there right at the birth, you, you think they didn't follow the ministry of Jesus? Have you ever thought about how they watched Jesus grow up and then they followed his ministry? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, these shepherds probably had great hope that Jesus was Messiah. And have you thought about how they would have been crushed? Week number two, week number three, week number four, we've discussed nobodies. We've talked about lepers that Jesus healed. 
We're talking about, a, a, remember we, we studied about a Gerizim demoniac who lived out in the graves and broke chains and, and whose name was Legion, filled with thousands of demons. And Jesus comes up to him and frees him in a moment. You don't think that guy followed the ministry of Jesus from there forward? I mean, Jesus said, go back to your hometown and tell them what I've done for you. We've studied prostitutes. You th- the prostitutes who were loved by Jesus, do you think they followed his ministry? See, if you can get a picture of all of these nobodies, including homeless beggars. Remember us talking about blind, homeless beggars? There were so many people in the town that day who came in so expectant about the ministry of Jesus. And when it was over, when the week was at its end at Passover, they were broken. They were discouraged. Their hearts were torn out of their chest because all that they had hoped for had not come to pass. There were so many people. And so what's interesting is often on Easter, we don't read some of the rest of the story, but since we're in a series, we get to read after the story today, okay? So Jesus not only appears to the ladies, but do you remember that story in the Bible? It's found in Luke chapter 24 where Jesus appears to two guys walking on the road. They're going home after Passover. They're going home with broken hearts. Passover is supposed to be a celebration of God's freedom and redemption from Egypt, right? They're walking down the road. And they're broken, and Jesus shows up. It's okay if you've never read this story, but hopefully you have heard it, right? I'm going to read a portion of it this morning. It says, Luke chapter 24, now that same day, that's the day he came back to life. This is Easter Sunday, right? Now that same day, two of them were going to a village. By the way, talk about nobodies. We don't even find out their names. I mean, in one gospel account, we're told that one of the gentlemen, his name was Cleopas. But the other one, we never even find out their names. We don't even know these people. It's the only story we ever get to hear about these two people who happen to be walking on the road. And for some reason, Jesus shows up in a, in a moment of, 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 of ministry to them in their brokenness and in their discouragement. Now that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they were broken. You remember the story? The Bible says they they looked at him and said, you don't know? I mean, this, this Jesus that we had hoped was the Messiah, he was killed. So they tell him the story, and then notice it says, uh, when he was at the table with them, Jesus goes and has a meal with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. By the way, sometimes I read Scripture, and I have a hard time not feeling like it's a movie, you know? I can see it so clearly. Are you like that at all? Every time I read this scripture, I picture two people at a table and Jesus stands up at the edge of the table like a dinner table. He reaches out and grabs the bread. I have to wonder if they saw the scars in his hands. I have to wonder. And he grabs the bread. He holds it up and he breaks it. And all of a sudden, they've been talking on the road. They've been journeying with him. They've invited him into their home. And all of a sudden, they go, light bulb, you know, it's him. And then all of a sudden, in my mind, I know I'm a crazy movie guy. And in my mind, all of a sudden, there's nothing in, in the room there. There's no person. There's like two pieces of bread hanging in the air. You know, two pieces of bread. He's gone. And then two pieces of bread. Bong, 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 bong. And can you imagine those two guys going? Looking at each other like, 
what has happened? The Bible says, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? Man. See, here's, here's, here's what I'm driving at. There's two guys that are nobodies. We don't even get hardly their names. We never hear from them again. But in God's great economy, he shows up to them because they're broken. And he, Jesus meets them and walks along the road. How do I know they were broken? I didn't put it in your scripture here, but let me read a couple of words that they said when they were explaining Jesus to Jesus, okay? Listen to what they said. Jesus asked, what things? And listen to what they said about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Do you see the brokenness and the discouragement in their words? It wasn't just them. But here's the cool thing. God meets discouraged people on a road. Jesus stands with them. He opens up their minds. Then he opens up their hearts. Then he opens up their eyes. And he disappears. And the Bible says they run. They run seven miles back to Jerusalem. Seven miles ain't a lot for Bo. Seven miles would have killed me. Okay? Now, now, here's the deal. But when I'm, when I'm excited, I can run. And I imagine they were excited. And they ran seven miles to get back. You know, and you know what they become? Two nobodies, two discouraged nobodies become evangelists. No different than the ladies. The ladies we talked about last Sunday that, that God said, you matter to me. Listen, you matter to me so much, I'm going to make you the first preachers. I'm going to reveal myself to you first. You go tell the disciples. Well, he meets these two guys on the road. You know, they're nobodies. But they become the evangelists of the good news back to the disciples. So they run, right? They run back to the disciples who are all meeting together and read the last little portion of this story from Luke chapter 24. The Bible says, while they were still talking about this. Now, so get the picture. It's the disciples and these two guys, Cleopas and whatever his name is, we don't know. And, and, and they're listening to the story. They've already heard the story about the ladies. Now they're listening to the story about these guys who met Jesus on the road. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. <laughs> I like that because I think Jesus probably knew he was going to scare them to death. And they were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. Now, you got to get the picture here, guys. Their hearts were broken so bad, they got scared when Jesus showed up. Because Jesus alive doesn't make any sense. How can he come back to life? And they literally thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then notice the rest of it. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands. He showed them his feet. And then he told them, this is what is written. 
the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance, hallelujah, hallelujah, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. This is pretty powerful stuff because he's talking to a bunch of Jews. He says, I'm opening up the whole thing. That's good news for me and you, by the way, because according to the Jews, you know who we are? We're flat out nobodies, all right? And Jesus said, and I'm opening it up to all the world, to all the nobodies, so that the repentance of the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is the big point. This is what I want you to grab today. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. You and you and you are witnesses of these things. So you, you get this? This is, this is powerful stuff. A couple of thoughts here, and then we're going to have Holy Communion. Not real complicated today, okay? Here's the first thought. You might want to write this down somewhere. Here's the first thought. Discouragement. Discouragement can cause us to lose hope sometimes. Now, let me pause right there. You might want to write that down. Discouragement can cause us to lose hope. And I share that with you today because I'm your pastor. And I know some of you in this room right now are struggling with discouragement. I know it's a medical diagnosis. I know it's a broken relationship. I can see names and faces in front of my mind right now. And I'm, this is the power of being the body of Christ together. Many of you trust me as your pastor and you open up your world to me. Sometimes it's with, pastor, would you pray for me? Sometimes it's with tears. Sometimes it's with brokenness. But I know that I know many of you in this room today you, you're struggling right now, the week after Easter, with discouragement. And here's what I want to tell you. Here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Discouragement sometimes causes us to lose hope, but hope is alive. And hope will always be alive. And hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. So here's the good news of the gospel. At your lowest, most discouraging moment that you'll ever have on the planet, which may have already happened, it may happen in the future. Can I just tell you that even in the moment that you feel most hopeless, you will still have hope. It's the power of the gospel in Easter, right? Because hope is alive. Hope lives. Always hope lives. Even death couldn't defeat hope. So if you're discouraged today, I encourage you to cry out for hope. His name is Jesus. And that's as simple as saying, Lord, I'm discouraged today. I'm discouraged about what's going on with my family, my son, my daughter. I'm discouraged. And do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says for all those who are discouraged and brokenhearted, did you know the Bible says in, in the book of Psalms that God is near? God is near. Those disciples that walked on the road, you, you, Jesus was near. He met them in their discouraged place. The disciples who sat in the upper room and said, I just can't believe it. And then he even shows up and they're afraid. Jesus is saying, I'm here. He's saying the same message he shared to every other nobody. He's saying, I know you. I know where you're hurting. I know your name. I came for you. 
I love you. You matter to me. You're a somebody to me. Never, ever in the name of hope, in the name of Jesus, never, ever let discouragement get the best of you. Understand that God, the God we serve, is the God who always has and offers hope. No matter what your situation is, no matter what the doctors say, no matter what the judge says, no matter what your spouse says, there's always hope. And here's the second thing I want to tell you, and that is simply this. We've been studying the gospel to the nobodies, and I just kind of want to remind you what we've been talking about. If you want to be a somebody in God's book, here's how it works. If you want to be a somebody, understand that you're a nobody. That the biggest somebody of the universe knows you, loves you, cares for you, and declares you a somebody. And watch this. And then he says to you, I'm saving you so you will be my witness. You know, as a pastor, I see a lot of people sometimes who say, well, I see how God could use them. I see how God blesses them and uses them, but I don't know he can use me. Can I just tell you the story of the Gospel of Luke is that not only does Jesus encounter and touch base and bring life to the nobodies there, but then they become the witnesses, the very evangelists who go out and minister to other nobodies all around the world. And so God's called you. God's going to use you to be a messenger to the nobodies that says, listen, I know a somebody who came for you, who knows you, who loves you. You matter to him. In just a minute, we're going to invite our children and our youth. Are they ready? Yeah. In just a minute, we're going to invite our children and our youth to come forward and, 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 and to gather with us for Holy Communion. But can I just tell you something really cool? I don't talk about this every Sunday, but when we have Holy Communion, let me remind you of something. There's, there's a lot of things that happen in any, any type of sacramental moment. One of the things that we come to the table for is to remind, her that we're, to remind ourselves that we're sinners. And so we come asking for grace and forgiveness. Another thing is we're remembering the body and the broken, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And so we're doing that as Christ followers. And we're doing that like has been practiced throughout the church. But here's what, here's what the deal is. When you walk away from the table, the image is that he is setting you right and he is now putting you back to mission. He's sending you back forward into the mission field. Every time I receive communion, I, really, I remember, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but when I walk away from that table, I leave it there. I leave all that junk, all that stuff, all those bad thoughts, bad deeds, I leave it there. And I remember that as I walk away from that table, he's called me to be his witness. You are my witnesses of this, right? So, receive today. And after you've received, may you be equipped, may you be empowered to walk away forgiven and to walk away with a mission to go share the good news, the gospel to every nobody that God puts around you.
hey, let's invite our children and our youth. Moms and dads, grandmas and granddads, aunts and uncles, help our kids find you, okay? They're going to come and join us now. If you're going to serve Holy Communion, would you come forward and position yourself and get ready to serve this morning? Come on in, guys. Good morning. While our children are coming in, let me tell you about a few new things that we've started here at Harvest Point. I wish we'd have started these things a long time ago. They're very good practices. So one of the things that we're doing is we are, um, follow me here, three things. We are using, um, am I saying it right, antibacterial soap, something like that, uh, cleansing agents to, to make sure that, that we're removing germs from our hands. Second thing is, when you come this morning, we're going to invite you, instead of taking a piece of bread, we're going to invite you just to put your hands out, and you'll be given a piece of bread, okay? I like, somebody said to me one time, you don't take grace, you receive grace, okay? That's an easy way to remember that. So when you come to receive communion, you won't have washed your hands, they will have, okay? So they're going to, they're going to break off the bread, and they're going to give you a piece of bread, and then they're going to give you the juices there. Here's the third thing. We've started a gluten-free station, so if some of you, some folks need gluten-free uh, uh, materials, and so always the far right station will be our gluten-free station, and so if you need to receive gluten-free elements, please just make your way, no matter where you sit, over to that far side, and they will have that there, and all you need to do is when you come forward to receive communion, just ask for, can I have some gluten-free elements, and they have those right there. We put our smartest people on that side of the room, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love y'all, Charlie and Ruth. Thank you for serving this morning. Well, here's what I want to remind you of. On the night that Jesus was giving his life for the world, he was sitting at the table with some of his friends, and he reached out like he had often done before. He took something very natural, very normal, and he taught and transformed it forever. He took bread. He held the prayer up. He prayed a prayer of blessing over it. And then he broke the bread and he said, my body is going to be broken for you. And he passed it around the room and he said, take and eat. You have a piece of this. And so Christians like us have been celebrating this meal over and over again, remembering the broken body of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray your blessing over the bread today that it would be for us the broken body of Jesus. We know that it's just bread but we will take it into our body today. We will eat of it. And we pray that it would mark us in a deep way with grace and forgiveness. By your broken body, we give thanks. And we just ask that you would forgive us and wash us clean. And then Jesus reached across the table and he took a cup. And the Bible says he lifted it up to heaven. He prayed a prayer of blessing over it. And then he passed that cup around the room and he said, this is the blood of a new covenant that I am making. There's a covenant of grace. Hallelujah, a covenant of grace. You know what that is, by the way. Unmerited favor. You don't do anything to deserve this. But he was offering us favor. So today, as you receive juice, may this be more than juice. May it be an outward symbol of the inward mark of grace as you take it into yourself. And may you remember that old hymn, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Would you pray with me?
Father, we pray this morning that we would recognize You in the juice. We give thanks for Your blood which washes away all sin. And we ask You apply Your blood to our life one more time. Forgive us for all our unrighteousness and our rebellion to go our own way and set us anew. Wash us clean and put us forth back in mission again, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So as you're directed to come, I invite you to come and remember a couple of things. This is not a Methodist table. This is not a Harvest Point table. And let me tell you for sure, this ain't Stephen's table, okay? This is the table of the Lord. All are welcome. All have been invited. And the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come. Come because you've been invited. Come not because you're worthy, because nobody here is worthy. Come because He loves you. And hear the gospel to nobodies. I know you. I came for you. You matter to me. I love you. You are a somebody. Come for all is ready in the name of Jesus.